Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2021. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them. And I'm Rach, she, her. Rach, thank you so much for coming on to our show. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. <laughs> now, uh, let's see. Yeah, we were going to have another guest, but the cold, harsh light of 2021 is actually the hot, searing light in the area where we all live. Um, and I, the other guest was not able to make it because they need to install like a, a cooling system as fast as possible, right? Yeah, she is. She and her family are trying to get an air conditioner into her home. And it's a shame she can't make it because Christine has been running Spirit of Sherwood, which is the international Robin of Sherwood fan club, for 30 whole years. Happy anniversary, that's Spirit amazing. of Sherwood. That's wow. Amazing, yeah. I mean, uh, Amato and I are only in our 30s, so to us, we're like, yeah, wow, you were, you were like, <laughs> yeah, you were like born when this was. And uh, yeah. I should say there is there is a fa- well, there's a bunch of Robin of Sherwood Facebook groups, but Spirit of Sherwood is the uh, perhaps the longest running. So uh, if you're interested in joining Robin of Sherwood online, uh, you can find it in a number of places, but I would recommend Spirit of Sherwood. And she's also the person who put us in contact. So I want to just make sure we give her a shout out at the beginning of this. We're not trying to cut her out of the show. Well, she was sort of like, hmm, fanfic. That would be Rach. I did run the Major Oaks for the entirety of their existence. The Major Oaks uh, are the the fanfic awards uh, for Robin of Sherwood fanfic, which were initially born out of the fact that uh, if anybody is familiar with Media Westcon, they had the fan cues, which yes. used to be the big fan awards. And if you've ever been to Media West, at the risk of giving offense, they couldn't keep people out of that room more effectively if they said there are live ravenous alligators running all over the floor of this room. It was a list of this one, this, this one, that. This one. There was no reason to go in there unless you thought you were going to win something or you were the kind of friend who would pick somebody up from the airport in the middle of a rainstorm. Now, I've actually used the FanQ Awards a couple of times to choose fanfics for us to read, that I, you know, the few times I had access to FanQ Award winners. Um, And so I've looked over those winning lists. And to get totally off topic before we even really touch on Robin of Sherwood, I don't understand how the FanQ Awards worked. Um, I don't what, understand how, how, how they worked either. I am talking not about how they were chosen, which remains a mysterious process to me. I am talking about the presentations themselves. Okay. I was like, <laughs> okay, well, and I, I was never even nominated for a fan queue, but I was like, you know, if I was winning an award, if a friend of mine was winning an award, I would like this to be vaguely entertaining. And this is just, I mean, it's like somebody reading off a laundry list and just, and, you know, so there was really, there was no, you know, and in a convention that is otherwise um, Media West at its height was kind of great because you could, every room had a different fanda. I mean, it wasn't mandatory, but you would walk through and see all the decorations on the walls and each room you'd walk in and it's 
you know, you could go, oh, tell me about your fandom. People would be like, oh, well, would you like to see a videotape? Would you like to see, you know, here's some artwork, here's some this, you know, and it was great. And the one thing, and they had a costume contest, uh, but the one thing, and people, they had a dealer's room, which was full of print zines. And we're talking, I mean, some of them were small and slight, but some of them were like 400 page you know, if you decided you didn't want to keep it as a as something you might like to reread, you could always use it as a deadly weapon and hit people over the head with it and possibly concuss them. Um, so <laughs> you know, they were they were multi-purpose. But the one thing that was just like off, you know, so it it celebrated zines and fanfic, but the fan cues were just like boring as hell. Well, I'm going to want to mm. hear about what you did in response to that with the Major Oak Awards. But yeah. before that, we should probably back up. Um, you, usually we, you know, read a specific fanfic and come together to discuss it. And we're not going to do that today because you've got such breadth of knowledge that there's tons to hear about fan fiction in, in this fandom. But we do always ask our guests what their background is with the source material. Now, I know just from talking to you so far that that could be the entire topic of this episode if we wanted it to be your background with Robin of Sherwood. But you want to give us the rundown? Um, yeah, well, it uh, sure. It started, it, w- it was made between 1983 and 1985 in the UK. Season one was six episodes. Season, or season one was six hours. Season two was seven hours. Season three was 13 hours. So, and it was shot on film and shot in, you know, historical castles and all of these incredible locations that really were, you know, the, the National Trust and whatever opened up all of these uh, historic sites to them. So they were shooting in real English castles and it looked amazing. Um, and I, I saw an episode on Showtime because Showtime, it ran on HTV in England, which is an offshoot of ITV. Um, and then it ran here on Showtime and then it started running around the U.S. on PBS. Um, I had just gotten Showtime. So I saw in 1984, I saw an episode and didn't see it again because then I didn't have Showtime. And then the next year they were running it on Showtime. So I watched seasons one through two which they were rerunning and then i watched season three and its debut at the beginning of 1986 i am old sorry and i mean we are both younger than the series robin no, of sherwood i'm afraid i hope that no, doesn't everything make makes me feel, feel old. too old oh my god um and uh, I had a- I actually met a couple people involved with the series before I found the fandom Sorry, what do you mean involved with the series, but not, but not involved with the fandom? Oh, they were, they were people who actually worked on the show. Oh, cool. So I met a couple of, of those people. Um, and then I found the fandom through a letter that Christine, who is the person who can't join us, and somebody else wrote to Starlog. And this was back in the days when everybody was listed in the phone. So I picked up the phone and called them. And they told me about zines. So I ordered a zine and got Albion 2. 
and then found somebody in the back of the zine who, or somebody who'd contributed to Albion 2 who actually lived sort of in my general vicinity. So we met up and she introduced me to a couple more of her fanish friends. And then um, there was a convention in Seattle in 1989 where three of the actors were going to be and Christine was going to be. And she's like, oh, you should come. So I went. And that was when I first met Christine in person and a bunch of other people who a lot of a lot of us are still friends. And I went to a number of conventions and there were uh, there had been a couple of Robin of Sherwood conventions that I'd missed in the US and there were conventions in the UK. I've only been to one UK Robin of Sherwood convention. I believe there's there's going to be another one that was supposed to have happened last year, and because of COVID, it didn't. Um, it's uh, If you go to the official Robin of Sherwood fan page, which is not to be confused with Spirit of Sherwood, which is also official, this is very confusing. But um, if, if you go to, uh, there is going to be a convention next year in England that should have um, most most of the actors so and a lot of fans. Um, so England wow. has had conventions. Um, however, there was a completely Robin of Sherwood fan convention in Ithaca, New York called HearnsCon. And then the following year, there was Son of HearnsCon. And between HearnsCon and Son of HearnsCon, um, a lot of people in the fandom did costuming and I thought, well, we've got, you know, we've got some great Marians. We've got some great both Robins, which I will explain in a minute. There's, there's two Robins in Robin of Sherwood um, and somebody doing well Scarlet. And so I said, Hey, would you guys like to do a, uh, like a little presentational sketch for the major Oak awards? And what we'll do is you'll, you'll do this little sketch. And then when we get to the bit in the dialogue, it's like, uh, you know, Will Scarlet is like a vignette is a very thin net, and it's like, no, no, that's not what a vignette is. You know, it's a tasty thing that you put. No, that's not what a vignette is either. So, uh, and they all said, why, sure. And we had uh, as guests that year one of the actors, Mark Ryan, who is still very involved with the fandom, God bless him, and Richard Carpenter, who had created the series. Kip Carpenter. Everybody called him Kip. And we had them give out the first place awards. And Kip got up and made this speech that was maybe the most wonderful thing you have ever heard the creator of a show say. He said, look, most television writers, all they can hope for from a show is that people will sit down long enough to watch the show. And I come here and I see that what I've written has gotten a bunch of strangers to come together and write and sing and make costumes and compose poetry and do artwork and do research and make friends. And I don't know what anybody, what more anybody could ask out of something they created. Yeah. <laughs> That's really nice. Uh, I, I want to back up a little bit on your experience, though, because by the, by the time you reach this you know, that story. Oh god. You were clearly way deep in the fandom and you were involved in the major and you were involved in the major Oak Awards. 
And since that's something that I want to talk to you about, were you involved in the like establishment of that, of the fan fiction awards for the series? Yeah, that was um, that was me going to the convention heads and saying, is this, you know, is it OK if we do this? Because we've got this giant zine fandom and I was participating very heavily in that. I was, you know, contributing to as many zines as I could um, as a writer. And, you know, is it OK with you if we do this? So we got everybody who had signed up for the con and everybody who'd signed up for Spirit of Sherwood and sent them ballots and said, here, you know, please, please send these back. And, you know, and I got hold of every zine that I could. And if they were multimedia zines, as they were called, which were zines that weren't exclusively devoted for for you to get nominated for a zine, it had to be an exclusively Robin of Sherwood zine. But stories and artwork that appeared in multimedia zines were still eligible. So I was tracking down every last story, poem, and piece of artwork and, you know, where it was and how many pages it was, because, you know, how many pages depended on which category it went into and whether the artwork was designed for that story or if it had been done and the zine editor just put it in because, you know, okay, it's a story about Marion. Here's a picture of Marion. Um, so uh, we did that, and uh, following Son of Hearn's Con, the, uh, which was at Cornell University, um, they stopped doing that. So Christine and another person uh, started up doing a weekend in Sherwood, of which there were nine. Hearn protect us, as they say. <laughs> um, so, and those were all in the Detroit area. I think there, there's there's a lot of things I want to hear about, kind of the mechanics of running a fan fiction, um, you know, award. <laughs> uh, well, but but I think a little bit before that, we haven't talked a lot about Robin of Sherwood in general yet, and it's clear it had a booming fandom scene. Tori, had you ever heard of Robin of Sherwood before? I like said we'd be doing this. Um, you know, it's funny. I actually, I, I felt like I hadn't, or like maybe I had, but like, you know, you hear a lot of Robin Hood stories, right? So it's sort of like, that sounds familiar. But then again, you know, like I watched so yeah. much Robin Hood stuff growing up because, you know, as you do, um, I was, I just kind of started uh, looking at it the other day and I was like, I do sort of remember this, but like not enough to remember specific plots or episodes. And honestly, I have no idea. I, I, I could have easily been like three years old when I saw this and it's like, you know, a latent memory or something, but so in that, in general, not really. And, and actually I was curious, like, um, a lot of shows that came out in the eighties, like kind of retained their popularity and were something I was exposed to, you know, I was born in 89 later on. This is one of the ones where I'm like, maybe I wasn't, maybe I wasn't. And I was kind of curious about, like, how much popularity it did have. Like, uh, Rach mentioned it was aired on PBS, I think. And um, Yeah, um, I think you can now get it on Amazon. You can, oh. which is cool. But I was, like, kind of curious, like, how long of a run did it have? Like, did it keep running? You know, like, were people still watching this in the mid-90s? Or, I don't well, know. Well, everybody was, this is when everybody was trading videotapes back and forth. 
So it was sort of like, here, I'll make you a set of videotape mm-hmm. and you can see it. Here's my childhood experience with Robin of Sherwood. It's that I subscribed to Dragon Magazine, which was the, the Dungeons and Dragons magazine, right? Put out by the publisher of Dungeons and Dragons. And like, when I was 13, they came out with an issue about like swashbuckling themed campaigns, right? And they had a couple pages of suggested reading, like inspirational reading and suggested things to, to watch or whatever. And at the, in the suggested things to watch, like the author of that article spent a, quite a while praising Robin of Sherwood and being like, oh, this show is so great. It's got, you know, it's got all this cool magic and, and plots going on. It's like super inspirational. It, it's like really interesting and well acted. Uh, but you can't really watch it. I mean, yeah, you can find the tapes. <laughs> so, like, watch it if you can. Yeah. And and as a kid, I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. But I, you know, as a thirteen-year-old child, I had no feasible way of like yeah. watching Robin of Sherwood at the time. And then I kind of forgot about it until I started doing this and ran into like the list. Like Robin of Sherwood is a whole zine category on you know a zine ordering um, website. That oh, sort of thing. well, that's nice. I did not know that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple who like do this kind of garage sale sort of zine oh. ordering service. They have a large stock and that's where I got my copy of Albion got, special yes, number one. I have, I have all of the zines that I got at the time. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is probably most of them a- anyway. So I-, I guess circling back around. It inspired a lot of enthusiasm, apparently, both at the time and people remembering it, you know, uh, up until they could fancy kind of reconnect on the Internet and such. Why do you think it got so popular and like developed such a robust fandom? Well, a lot of people came to it from a number of different ways. I mean, Robin of Sherwood is unique so far as I know, and that Kip actually contributed to a couple of themes. That's almost unheard of for the creator to go here's a poem here's a short story wow yeah that is really um, unusual I, that's such a unique thing like you almost wonder how much like it means like the creator obviously had like a lot of investment in the community around their well, work which is very sweet to me like i love learning about fan communities so he <laughs> did um but I mean, I, I was in his office, his home office, and he had two entire shelves devoted to Razine. So, I mean, he kept them. Uh, so the fandom was encouraged by yeah. the show creators in a way that is yeah, not creator uh, singular. Totally, this common. was not like an American show where they had a writers' room. He wrote, he completely wrote seasons one and two, and then there were a couple of other writers. He wrote some episodes and some other writers wrote on season three, including Anthony Horowitz, who has become very famous for Foil's War and the Alex Ryder books and all of that. Um, he's a very famous English writer now. Um, so, so that was one thing, the fact that the people were accessible and the actors were really, by and large, pretty accessible, too. Um, I mean, it partly, I think, because it was shot on film. There were so many things, and this is like, you have to remember this was the 80s when genre shows were dire. It was one of the first genre shows that I'd seen that had a continuous narrative where episodes weren't just like self-contained 
and they mind wiped you at the end, you know, where, where things uh, proceeded. It was very political, although some people, again, as I say, there were some political differences. Um, Kip was a socialist and put this, you know, I mean, there was really a lot of uh, share the wealth folks and the rich people are screwing over the poor people. Um, that sounds entirely in theme. Yes. I mean, it is what it's about, but it hadn't been put in quite those terms. <laughs> and also, um, in Robin of Sherwood, uh, Robin is her, well, he, <laughs> he doesn't know this at first, but he, he is chosen to be the son of Hearn, the forest god. You've got a god. This is before Xena and Hercules mm. was left. And some people just lost their minds over this because you've got a god who is not God Almighty. And in the first two seasons, Robin was a pagan who, you know, there there's a confrontation he has with the abbot where the abbot says, have you no respect for the church? Not while you're in it. <laughs> and, you know, that was which is, you know, it's it's the old Robin Hood stories where he's robbing the the church. but. This was a bit more pointed. The church was not. Friar Tuck is a good character, and there were some good Christian characters, but the church as an institution was not seen as a good thing. Um, so there was that. Um, it it had a sense of world enough in time. I mean, you just it it had this sort of suspension of you you felt like if you went beyond the frame you wouldn't see a bunch of lights and apple boxes you'd see the rest of the castle well you mentioned that they filmed in actual castles so that was also literally true yeah yeah but you would see you would actually see lights because otherwise <laughs> you wouldn't see the rest of the castle it would be too dark to see anything well okay <laughs> um they had a very attractive cast, which was not lost on anybody. <laughs> um, and um, at the end of season two, and some people really like this and some people really don't like this, um, the gentleman playing uh, Robin of Loxley, who, who is a peasant, he gets arrested at the beginning for poaching with his young... The main characters for the first two seasons are Robin of Loxley, who is a peasant, his foster brother, Much, who is slightly um, intellectually uh, neurodiverse. Um, Will Scarlet, who has killed some soldiers for raping and murdering his wife. Little John, who, the, who Robin rescues from uh, an enchantment by a sorcerer. Friar Tuck, who is Marion's friend. Marion, who... Robin, Robin and Marion wind up married by Hearn by the end of the first episode. So there's none of the sexual tension crap. And by the end of the second episode, she is a full outlaw because she basically says, you know, I, you know, I'm out here in the forest and you're not going to dump all the laundry on me, basically. <laughs> and uh, she winds up single handedly rescuing everybody. And at that point, Robin goes, OK. And then there's a character called Nazir, who is a Saracen, Mark Ryan, who goes to the conventions, bless him. And uh, Nazir was originally Edmund the Archer, and he was just going to show up and have a fight with Robin and die. And then 
the director decided that he really brought something to the character and said, well, we can't kill him off. And Kip said, well, what, what the hell are we going to do with him? And it's like, oh, we'll make him a Saracen, um, which you wouldn't do now because Mark is white. <laughs> but they were, in their defense, they were desperately trying to come up with some angle. And then because uh, they decided he wouldn't have too much dialogue. So he would, you know, he would say something occasionally, but not too much. And people really liked him. And he fought with two swords. Um, and he was kind of mysterious and quiet and completely competent. Uh, you know, I mean, like a really good fighter and all of that. Anyway, at the end of season two, the gentleman playing Robin of Loxley got the lead in a Broadway musical. And because hmm. nobody was under contract for season three, he went and did the Broadway musical and they were without a Robin Hood. So they decided what they would do is uh, kill off that character, which they did in the final episode of season two. And in season three, a young nobleman named Robert of Huntingdon. Uh, well, actually, he heard the call at the, at the end of season two. Somebody rescues all of the merry men and they're not sure who the heck it is. Um, and he goes off for a year because Hearn summoned him and had him rescue them. And then Hearn comes to him again, and he's kind of annoyed because he's the son of the Earl of Huntingdon. But then Marion gets kidnapped again, and he's very uh, attracted to Marion, even though Marion herself is understandably extremely upset. Um, and so he rounds up the the merry men who have gone into diverse things and nobody's very happy and he rounds them up they rescue marion and he decides that he's going to embrace the role of her and son and you know fight for the downtrodden and uh after it becomes very clear that marion really has to go back to the forest because otherwise she's going to just get continually kidnapped um, she goes back to the forest, and after a while, she falls in love with Robert of Huntington. If I know anything about fandoms, I've got to assume that there's some heated debates about which Robin is superior or Robin preferences there between is, the two of them. I was going to say the same thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, there is. It is somewhat muted now, at least in Spirit of Sherwood and in the con circuit, because the actors are, both of those actors are around. It's like you you can express like I liked this one because of this, but you can't say well, you can say whatever you want, but if it's perceived as being insulting to one of the actors, you will be blocked off of several of these things because they actually uh some of them do actually read the uh forums and participate, and you know just as you know there is there is a level of uh civility that now <laughs> um back in the day it was a bit more heated um there were very heated disagreements over various aspects and in fact there were sort of like religious differences between pagans and christians in the fandom that's really interesting um which has also now been sort of smoothed over. Um, I mean, Robert was clearly coming from a Christian background. Marion's background was Christian, but she accepted Hearn. 
Tuck remained Christian. Nazir, as far as we know, is Muslim. Um, and everybody else just kind of goes, okay, Hearn's calling the shot. Super. You know, they they all do the Hearn thing. So uh, you can you can make of that what you will. While we're talking about kind of the um, you know the strength of the fandom, and what I'm what I'm hearing from you is that like other than the show and the content and like kind of the vision behind it, producing enthusiasm, there's also like the show creator and multiple actors who've been involved, which have given it some energy. Has the fandom been reinvigorated at all in recent years? Because I did notice that there's new Robin of Sherwood material coming out as of like four or five years ago or something. Yes. Um, Well, Kip had written a screenplay that took place after season three and Shinbeard Books got the rights and brought the whole cast back or, well, everybody who's still alive because two two key people have died, but um, all of the actors who are still alive. And they did a recording for charity, and that was so successful that they've done some a line of books and audio recordings. That some of them are full cast, some of them are uh, partial cast, and that, of course, has brought a lot of because uh, there there is new material with the actors. So yeah, there's that has certainly brought a uh, reinvigoration to it. That, however, is not the that is not exactly the zine culture. It's it's sort of like somewhere somewhere between the show and the zines. Um, there is now, you know, now in the uh, flowering of internet fanfic, there is a lot of raw slash. I mean, obviously there's a lot. Well, for one thing, there's a lot of slash even in fandoms that have plenty of female characters. And in Roz, you were really sort of on a regular basis, you were down to Marion. So, you know, um, I I will share. Um, I identify as lesbian, so in any case, in in the zines, there was not a great deal of what you would consider slash. It's interesting. I was also just thinking about the fact that we call it slash, just because I, I feel like that. You know, I grew up with any gay fiction being slash and usually it was non-canon gay couples right and i'm looking at it now and i'm going like why is there a different name for fanfics that put gay couples together than fanfics that put straight couples together i'm sort of like wait a minute have i been tricked well i think it's for one thing i do think there is a somewhat different readership I'm somebody made a brilliant observation way, way back that of course you were going to think these two characters are having a sexual relationship just because of the framing, because especially with old framing where it's the one, three, three aspect ratio, they are in order to get them both in the frame together when they're talking, they're so close that in real life, you'd be either about to kiss somebody or bite them if Mm. you were that close. So, of course, subconsciously, at least you're thinking they must have a romantic relationship because, look, they're, you know, their faces are this close right. together. I've never thought of that, but I'm sure you're right. It's true. You know, yeah. You, I never thought of that either. If you look at, like, Star Trek, which is where Slash came from, by the way. I mean, you, you know how that term came about, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Kirk slash Spock. We okay. did it, you know. We got into the Kirk slash Spock pretty early on, um, and then you know decided we really have no interest in Kirk and very little interest in Spock. So we haven't gotten too far back to it, I think. 
Yeah. But if you look at the framing, you know, that alone, and plus at the time this came up, the you know, the female characters were so god awful that who would want to identify with any of them? Mm-hmm. You didn't want to be them. You wouldn't want to have sex with them. They were just, you know, they were ciphers. You know, what you wanted was the respect and the affection and the camaraderie and the competence that was between two male characters. Robin, again, was sort of interesting because Marion was a fully competent member of the group. Uh, I will argue, particularly in seasons one and two, it got a little it got a little wobbly when Robert came into it. You could argue. Well, part of it was that it was being written by several different people rather than one person. Um, And part of it was, and they didn't seem, sometimes she was much more into Robert than at other times. So, but she was a female character that you weren't embarrassed about identifying with or thought there was something ridiculous about her her interaction with other people. <clears throat> or her interactions with the Robins or her, you know, her judgment or any of that. So, um, Slash didn't maybe seem quite as necessary. <laughs> um, but, of course, if you want to write, if you want to write sexual relationships between people, that is different than working out. I mean, a lot of the stories were uh, people coping with Loxley's death, Guy finding out the big secret, um, Robert either coping with the fact that Marion leaves him at the end of season three or getting Marion back. You mentioned Robin, uh, original Robin of Loxley, resurrection yeah. stories being a, yes. a genre. Yes. There are entire, I mean, there's a, a trilogy by uh, Jenny, Cindy, and uh, P.L. Kennedy uh, in The Shadow of the Wheel, which has got to be the length of lore. It's it's three very thick uh, novels that are Loxley comes back and becomes Hearn. Robert becomes involved with um, a, a female guest character, a canonical female guest character. Um, Gisburn becomes nicer um and uh it's an awful lot of stuff going on in the in this book um so it's like uh the main characters and then their their offspring um and there were i think in the shadow of the wheel is the best known of those but there i do want to go back to talking more about you know the fandom here which i think is really unique and interesting and you know having also watched a little bit of the show now um the cinematography (laughs) is really excellent the lighting is really strong i i see why this was so compelling to people it actually kind of reminds me of the prisoner which is my favorite, one of my favorite shows in the whole entire world, which is the British show from the late 60s. And if anyone hasn't seen that, they should. And at one point I tried to look up fanfic for it, but basically like no one can write fanfic as good as the actual show. But anyway, coming back to this whole Slash thing, this is the second time I've heard the idea because we talked about it in our Kingdom Hearts episode where everyone wanted to pair Sora and Riku, which is actually a video game from like the late 90s, early 2000s, because there weren't, wasn't a strong enough female presence. And that's kind of the origin of Slashfic. 
And to be honest, like a lot of slash fic is written by women trying to find, you know, an emotional pairing between characters they like. And this is the second time that I've actually heard this idea that there's just not enough strong female characters, and that's why men get paired together in these fics. And I think that is super interesting um, and a really important thing to point out because we kind of got, I think the main shift that happened towards, like, in terms of that was Xena fanfic, when finally you had prominent female characters who were clearly lesbians. But we still hardly have a strong female presence, you know, in fan fiction a lot of the time. And especially, we don't have a ton of lesbian fan fiction, as far as I can tell. If you look at gay fanfic, it's more often than not, it's the men paired together. And I guess that is the main reason. But I just find that idea so interesting that people couldn't find female characters to latch onto, even to create compelling heterosexual relationships. They were just like, let's put the dudes together because they're better developed as characters. Well, also, um, I think a lot of um, a lot of fanfic writers are heterosexual women who are not sexually interested in imagining women having, I mean, you don't want to write Mary Sue and they right. are not interested in imagining having sex with a woman. But, you know, the weirdest part is that they aren't interested in putting themselves in the position of the female character who would have sex with the man. Like, not that this doesn't happen. My point being is that, you know, for a heterosexual woman to more often write fan fiction about men where there are no women, I think it says a lot about how women are in media and how female sexuality is, you know, kind of, it's not celebrated, you know, and it's not the strength of women is not celebrated. And like, you know, having been raised to be a woman or born female like i i get this like the idea that you don't really want to see yourself as the damsel in distress you don't want to see yourself in a relationship with a man if the man is controlling and you are a robot you know so i get why why this is done but i think it'd be so important you know even writing a heterosexual fic where the woman is a strong presence and I feel like, yeah, we just don't, we don't see that as much. Um, well, there is, a, there is a lot of good Marion fic, I would say. Mm. Um, Marion does seem to be a really good character in this, so that's good. Um, but, you know, I mean, as far as a lot of different people have different theories about Slash, I sort of feel like, especially women who are in relationship, who either don't don't have a romantic relationship or in romantic relationships where the guy isn't doing what he want, what she would want. It's nice to write something where you can, or, you know, uh, there's this. And again, you know, I'm not sure how it is now because, you know, Roz fanfic was, big in the 80s and 90s where there was a much different attitude you know now you know um there's a special coming on friday night with lisbeth with the the ballet de trocadero if you know the trocs okay um they've been around since 74 
it's an all-male ballet troupe where the men do the ballerina roles. It's going to be on PBS Friday night. And they're great, by the way. They are, you know, they are completely trained dancers. They do the classical ballets. They just have like a little bit of a comedic affect. And, um, but nowadays the reaction to the Trocks is much different than it was when they started in 1974, when it was like, Now, while we have you who have some like expert level insider knowledge of some specific things. I want to hear a little bit more about the major oaks, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. I've encountered a few fan fiction, you know, awards and like I've used them to get recommendations for fanfics before, but the major oaks are relatively large scale or it seemed like compared to some of them. It like seemed like there were a lot of awards and a lot of uh, things being judged in them. Can you describe to me what the like actual process was of running it? Like how you gathered the the possible entrance, how you had people vote, how those things were tabulated? Oh yeah. If you if something appeared in a zine and it was Robin of Sherwood, it went on the ballot. It was just Was that all you doing the detective work? Like did you just have to keep Keep your feelers yeah. out for everything. Yeah, and See this was, was before the internet. crossover in the science fiction zine where, like, someone jumped into Robin of Loxley's body or whatever, like, all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure I missed a number of them, but I did try, and we had, you know, zines from England and Australia, and um, there were contributors from Ireland and Japan, and... Once you got this going, did people know to just send you a copy of all of their zines? No, I had, if, if I hadn't contributed, I had to buy one like anybody else. Oh my. That's um, a lot of dedication. Or at least contact the people. I'm pretty, sure I bu- I'm pretty sure I did buy them, but in some cases, I think I just said, okay, can you tell me what's in your zine and how many pages it is and what the, you know, whether you're who did the illustrations and whether the illustrations were created for that particular story or if it was submitted to you as artwork and you just put it in the story because that would that would change the category of where the artwork went. So you kept up on all the zines that were Robin of Sherwood zines or had Robin of Sherwood content. Right. And then from from what you were telling to me before it sounds like you just kind of put organized that all into a master list for each year, right? Yeah. And then that master list was, so it was divided into categories, right? Like, like you said, yeah. you know, best artwork, things that were artwork, things that were poems, things that were, you had, did you make the call between things like, oh, is this a, nov- a novella or is this a short story or it that was, sort of thing? Uh, it says on the ballot, I'm, I'm looking at the ballot, um, uh, a novel novella is over 50 pages. A long story is between 21 and 50 pages. A short story is between 6 and 20 pages. And a vignette is 5 pages and under. So you came up with those, you know, rules for well, writing I think these categories. Well, that, that was a discussion between me and Christine and the rest of the con committee. Um. It wasn't just me unilaterally at the beginning, but once we came up with it, it was like, okay, well, we've got this, and we seem to agree on this, so we'll keep it that way. Um, can I ask you a question? Did you ever have content-related 
awards like best romance story or best you no. know no action story that's interesting because i've seen other fan fiction awards that do do that as kind of a main component but it seems like the yeah the major oaks were just just in terms of like format like, category yeah <laughs> yeah they were basically they were based on okay is this um, you know, in years where there weren't that many zines, it was just uh, overall zine achievement. In years where there were a ton of zines, we had the uh, debuting zine category as well, so that they weren't competing. You know, because the the longer running zines tend to ha- tended to have an edge. You know, I mean, basically the stuff that the more people bought that zine, the greater likelihood it was that people would vote for the content. Although people would vote for their friends. And also, some years there were so many poems that we went into five awards rather than three. Um, and so, once you had this all typed up into a ballot, yeah. And, uh, actually, actually, let me back up a little bit. This was by calendar year, right? Yeah, well, I'm looking at this, and there's um, the one thing that we have to. Okay, it says it's the 1993 Oak Award, Major Oak Awards, but so that would be the calendar year of 1993, except there's stuff on here from Greenwood 4, which I'm pretty sure took place. Uh, Green, the Greenwood 4, the Robin of Sherwood Convention, was a zine put out for a British con, which was Greenwood 4, and they put out a zine to go with the con, an actual zine. And I'm pretty sure that was in 1994. And I don't quite know why it's on this. Ba- oh, I think it may be on this ballot because Weekend and Sherwood took off 1995. There wasn't a con that year. So it may be that we wanted to put it in there before uh, it skipped everybody's minds. But for the most part, it was based on calendar year or if the year was Once taken you assembled off, then all it would these be into a ballot. You've said those ballots could get as long as like 15 pages because you've got one in front of you, right? Yeah, well, it's actually eight pages because what I did was I would go to the copy place and shrink each page down until two of them would fit on one sheet of paper. And then you printed it double-sided. So this is actually eight pages, but it was originally 15 and a half pages. Yeah, otherwise you were just mailing a doorstop. Mm-hmm. So you've got you got that ballot, and then that was distributed to everybody who attended a certain convention. Is that how it worked? Uh, it was distributed to everybody who was attending the con, who had written for a zine, who had bought a zine. I mean, it was basically sent to everybody that we thought might have the slightest. Uh, by we, I mean me and Chris and the con committee thought might have the slightest knowledge of what they were voting for and or interest in voting for it. That's interesting. So that means that the results could not be tabulated at the con. That was just Oh, no, no. We knew, uh, no, we knew ahead of time because we had certificates. uh, We had to have the certificates printed up before the con so that you could, um, there were you got a certificate saying, you know, the Major Oak Award for blah, blah, blah. And there was a form created. Um, somebody did artwork for the form originally, and then we just produced it each year. And there was a blank 
thing saying the, you know, uh, this award goes to this person for this or these people for this. Um, and we would okay. fill out the uh, what had won. And I think initially we had somebody with really nice calligraphy do that. And after a while, I just did it as best I could. <laughs> was everybody allowed to just vote for one thing from each category? Or no, if there were like five depend- prizes for poem, could they do five poems or something? Um, uh, let's see. Well, um, each category said how many you could vote for and how many awards were being given. Overall, Zine Achievement, please vote for two. Two awards will be given in this category. Debuting Zine, please vote for one. One award will be given. Novel Novella, please vote for one. One award will be given. Uh, long Story, please vote for up to three. Three awards will be given. Um, short Story, please vote for up to five. Three awards will be given. So it depended on, yeah, it depended on the size of the category, um, you know, how many things were in the category. We wanted as many people to win as, as possible because obviously it's just a more enjoyable experience. And you sort of, I mean, there were, it sort of tied the fandom together a little bit in this idea that you could, even even for people who didn't win, just to see that their work was on this ballot, like somebody acknowledging, yeah, you did this, and we see you, and you are equal to everybody else because, you know, we see that you did this, and we, you know, and yeah, we see, cool. we know what it is. Um, and, have a good time at the Okies because they were so and so the Okies preposterous. Like the actual ceremonies were at the convention, yeah. yeah. But the whole process of doing the vote and such would have happened like during months and months leading up to yeah. that convention, right? Yeah, okay. and it would say, "Please, ta- please send in your ballot by this date to give enough time to tabulate the votes." And I mean, I would, as each ballot came in, I would mark off, you know okay, this got this vote, and then, you know, at the end, I would look and go, okay, this got this many votes, and that got that many votes. And if there were ties, we would just give it to, uh, you know. I'm curious as to how many people voted on average. Like, you know, how many people attended? Like, what is, you know, the the kind of size and scope of this fandom, I guess, is my curiosity. Well, I know the British cons have a lot of people. Um, they have, I think they had 600, um, the biggest weekend in Sherwood, uh, Con too, and the biggest weekend in Sherwood, I think was 200 people. Weekend in Sherwood was more often 60, 70 people. Um, and then, um, the biggest vote we ever got for the major Oaks, I think was, uh, 200 people. Wow. So it's like a relatively i mean it's it's a strong community but like you know having i would imagine it's a lot of the same people showing up again so this becomes kind of you know i i would say you know an insular sort of thing like a strong community right like people would know people and piggyback off people you know yeah a lot of people are still friends from you know these are these are very old friendships in some cases now but new people are, I mean, 
there are a couple of people I can think of who are fairly new to the fandom who've been completely embraced and everybody's talking to everybody and everybody uh. we were trying well we were everybody was supposed to meet up last year but of course covid so now we're looking at the last big meetup I can think of was Mark Ryan went to a convention in Iowa in 2015. And um, Jason, another actor, was supposed to go from Robin of Sherwood. He wasn't able to go. Mark got Adrian Paul from Highlander to go, which was mm-hmm. which was really pretty cool because they did a sword demonstration and that was, you know. That was awesome. a lot of fun. Yeah, because um, they're both very proficient with swords. Um, if you've never seen Highlander, you will, you know, you will know that. Um, so, If you haven't seen Highlander, I don't know what you're doing with your life, in my personal opinion. Well, there you go. Um, so um, a whole bunch of people showed up in Iowa for that. And so there was supposed to be another con and everybody was like, oh, I mean, some people do go to the British cons, but if you're American, that is financially difficult. And also the British Mm -hmm. cons have a somewhat different tenor than the American cons. Um, How so? um, Well, the British cons are... They're a little more regulated, I suppose you would Which say. Which is the way of the British. Um, <laughs> it may be. Or it, it's also sort of, well, I mean, Weekend in Sherwood was sort of its own complete thing. I mean, it was basically like, you know, you do your panels, you have the activities, and then you all just, including the guests, get drunk in the bar. Or I don't drink, but you go in the bar. And <laughs> then, you know, you have a room party and that can go till like four in the morning and sometimes the guests are there and you know we had one weekend where the guests were all telling at the at the room party, and people were just coming in you know it's a saturday night everybody's just coming in it's like four in the morning and the guests are all telling their favorite theatrical disaster stories um jeremy bullock uh who was boba fett in the star wars movies had a recurring role on Robin of Sherwood as the uh, Edward of Wickham. He was the head villager in Wickham. And he was telling this story of, um, he was in a production of, my oh God, um, he, he was in a production of a courtroom drama that was touring, stage production. And there was a line like, what do you have to say for yourself? And he couldn't help it. He farted. And so the audience died. The people on stage died. And that was, it was, okay, you know, it can't be helped. But the next night, they got to that moment. And even though he didn't fart, the audience had no idea what was going on. All Everybody on stage remembered what had happened the night before, and they all laughed. And the entire company was brought up on charges in front of British Actors' Equity because you're not supposed to deliberately make people laugh. They're like, we weren't doing it on purpose. We couldn't help it. Wow. That is so silly. Oh, my gosh. It, well, it was, you know, I mean, people, 
people have a lot of love for this stuff because, you know, and I seem to be the only one sober enough to remember that that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And another actor was talking about being in a production of The Resistible Rise of Arturo Ui. And there's a scene where somebody, you know, it's a gangster and he shoots everybody and they all lay down. Well, his gun wasn't going. So they all lay down anyway. So he kept trying to shoot them again. And they kept getting up and falling down again. And they were dying laughing on the floor. And he just started kicking them because he was trying to, quote, kill, unquote, them. And what made it perfect, what made it perfect was the actor telling the story was in tears laughing, going, I'm sorry, I'm telling this very badly. (laughs) So, I mean, they also at the panels had stories about making Robin of Sherwood. Um, There is a pretty, a pretty great one about a scene where um, Loxley and Gisborne are fighting in a mud pit and, uh, Loxley is supposed to get away and swim away, and he almost drowned. Um, oh, wait, and wait, you mean like the actual actor? The actor almost drowned. Yeah, no, the character oh, wasn't supposed to almost drown. He almost drowned because he was so tired from fighting in the mud. And meanwhile, the chainmail on Gisborne was actually made out of wool. So his the wool began shrinking and strangling him, and they wait. had to cut him out of it. Wow. Uh, these are all amazing anecdotes. Um, and we would just, I mean, there were, there was a lot of craziness. There was a lot of people screaming at each other. Um, there was, you know, it, it was, <laughs> it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> um, but Everybody, it was sort of like whatever you were interested in, you know, if you were interested in costuming, there was a costuming. Um, We had a master costumer who was, who was part of the group and actually became a master costumer while she was part of the group. Won four master costuming awards, not, not in Robin of Sherwood, just um, in general fandom. Um, And and if you were interested in writing, of course, there were the zines. If you were interested in artwork, there was, we had an art show, or the con had an art show. I had nothing to do with the art show. I would help them put up the flat sometimes, and that was about it. Um, but they had they had an art show, and the artwork was mostly for sale. Um, if you were interested in history, they would have uh, panels on, well, what was medieval England like at this time, or what was going on with whatever. Um, they had some archery, although that was mostly, they had actual archery at the Hearns Con. They couldn't do it for insurance reasons at Weekend and Sherwood, so they had nerf archery. Uh. I didn't think about it until this moment, but an actual archery contest is exactly what I would want at any kind of Robin Hood-themed convention. Yes. Right? Yeah. Hotels really don't like you shooting arrows in their in their ballrooms. Interesting fact. So they, they had, like, nerf arrows. But, uh, yeah, they, the, um, 
the ones on the uh, campus at Ithaca, there was one on a field and one uh, out in the forest. And um, there's a lot of online fanfic now. Um, a lot of it is Slash. Um, it's mostly it's mostly somebody in <laughs> really? Does he become uh, a sympathetic character? Like, no, no, he's only I. I people imagine. I mean, Robert Addy, the the actor who once very sadly passed away uh, fairly suddenly. Um, but in Robin of Sherwood, he was this beautiful blonde guy who had incredible horse riding skill, mm-hmm. which I guess if you, I don't know that much about horse riding, but people who do say that he has incredible horse riding skills and he grew up playing uh, polo. So he had, you know, he came to the role with those skills. Um, and he was, if you, this doesn't crank my tractor, as they say, but if you like tall, blonde, blue-eyed guys with deep voices, he is a tall, blonde, blue-eyed guy with a very deep voice. And um, should also uh, mention the outtake reel, which is 70 minutes long for all three seasons and is completely hysterical. And if anybody tried this stuff on American TV, they would promptly be fired because they'd be in the middle of a take and just burst into song. <laughs> um, it was, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of singing, a lot of, uh, a lot of craziness. Um, and also, you know, a lot of accidents like, you know, the famous quarterstaff fight between little John and Robin Hood and, um, Robin in the outtake reel forgets to block and gets hit right in a very vulnerable area. And he's just doubled over going, ah, and the guy playing little John is laughing because he can't help himself. Takes um, are just like such a special thing. You know, I remember seeing the Lord of the Rings outtake where like uh, Viggo Mortensen kisses the, who plays Pippin, why did I phrase Billy Boyd or whatever? And I, I, I had such a fangirl moment over that when I was a teen. Like, just you get such an affection for these characters. Um, and the actors that play them feel like an extension of that affection. Yeah. I mean, and Robert Addy is very, very fun. Well, they're all very funny in the outtake reel, but there's a thing where he's in the episode, he's with this group of. Uh, bandits basically and they all pop out from behind a bush and one of them is waving a roll of toilet paper and they all start singing edgeware edgeware bum bum ba-doo, bum edgeware, edgeware. Well, <laughs> it's that, like, what on that doesn't wrap up anything specifically the toilet paper <laughs> outtake in particular it's great, though, you but, know <laughs> but, I, but no but, but i think i'm going to start bringing this episode to a close before I do, Rach, I feel like you've given us this really cool overview of sort of the Robin of Sherwood fandom and what made the show special and the fandom special. And like, I, I'm definitely feeling this sort of uh, general vibe of what that scene was like in its heyday. And, well, it, and it clearly continues to be now, you know, through this, these, this strong community that's been established. Yeah, it's, it, it continues now. There's, 
and I, I should say this is the fairly idiosyncratic American spirit of Sherwood experience. There are many other experiences. Um, the British, you know, the the British fandom is. I mean, some British people have come to Weekend in Sherwood, and Weekend in Sherwood stopped in two thousand five because, um, well, for one thing, uh, Christine was starting a family, and I think it's very hard to <laughs> do that. It's hard to do that and do pretty much anything. Um, <laughs> Well, I guess I should say then, thanks for sharing kind of some impressions of your experience in the fandom, your, you know, extensive experience, which clearly, like, we, we've only scraped the surface of, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, was, I was thinking of asking you what your favorite kind of fan fiction was, because I know it would be uncouth to ask you to name, like, specific favorites, but in terms of type of story. Um, I, I, type of story would be like, it felt, it felt like an episode. There's a certain mm-hmm. satisfaction I've gotten sometimes reading fan fiction where it just, yeah, feels like an extension of the show so much that, like, it, it's, in some ways, things that are more divergent are, can be more interesting, but there's also this, like, real satisfaction when you see an author kind of nail the original tone and original type of storytelling. Yeah, but you don't really yeah. see that that often. Like, in a lot of the fanfics we've read, like, I mean, we've had really great fanfics, but nothing that felt like, you know, it had the same conciseness of an episode of the thing, right? Like, well, some, well, no, but not it, as uh, often, you know what I mean? There's been a, no, 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 it's unusual, I would say. Mm-hmm. We've, we've run into that feeling a couple of times, but... Yeah, a couple, in our, like, 114 episodes <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the thing is, Roz is only twenty six hours. Okay. So, you know, so you want something that that makes more. Mm-hmm. I, see. I mean, the one very cool thing about Knights of the Apocalypse, which is the audio book of the uh, unproduced Richard Carpenter script, is it feels like an episode. They have, they got somebody to do music that's like Robin of Sherwood, and of course they have all of the actors, and they all sound the same um the i well they do have a different gisburn because of course robert addy very sadly passed away in 2003 mm-hmm. at a fairly young age um he he had uh cancer um but um and the the gentleman who played Hearn has passed away as well but they got um actually they got his son who is also an actor to do burn so he sounds very much like you would expect her to sound and uh, they got anthony stewart head to be the bad guy nice and it you know it sounds like robin of sherwood that's really cool um yeah um and of course it was written by kip so of course it sounds like robin of sherwood um you know but my my favorite fanfic is stuff that sounds like an episode. Um, but different people have different things, and different people have you know everybody. And people felt a lot of people felt very strongly about it. So if they had issues they wanted to deal with, they really wanted to deal with them. So I mean, some people not you know again not everybody. Some people just were like, okay, I'll write a fanfic. Why not? I'll get a free zine. But some people were like, no, I must, you know, I must work this out and figure out what would really happen if this happened. And I think this should have happened. So, you know, and I want to describe this kind of tree. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? 
hey, I bought a book of like English English trees and flowers at some point, just so I could properly describe the foliage. That's amazing. <laughs> I was just going to say people were doing all kinds of research on all kinds of things. Hmm. You know, the Saracens, the Crusades, the structure of the church, the structure of the nobility, what peasants' mm-hmm. lives were really like, how you ran a mill. Yeah. You know, you name it, somebody looked into it. That's cool. I mean, it's like, as you mentioned before, you know, there's Robin Hood, which has many iterations, and there's Robin of Sherwood. It seems like people became invested in the history of that myth or the history of, you know, where these castles were that were filmed. Just, you know, so many tangents from this original source. I think that's what's really cool about having a fan culture is it's this broad spectrum of interests and ideas that one can have just sparked from a single piece of media that, as you mentioned, is only 26 hours long. So, um, you know, somebody was on spirit of Sherwood saying, Oh, I want to go to England and look at all the locations. And several people jumped in. It's like, Oh, well I live here and I can take you to Nottingham castle and I live here and I can take you to, you know, uh, Bristol where they shot the forest scenes. And, you know, there is still, a great sense of community. That's, That's really great. neat. That's, yeah, what you always want to hear from a, a fandom. And Rach, but before I let you get going, is there are there any places that you want to promote, like internet sites or what have you, for people who are interested in Robin of Sher uh, of Sherwood or the fandom? Um, well, there's Spirit of Sherwood, which is on Facebook, and there's the official Robin of Sherwood. Uh, group, which is also on Facebook, and Spirit of Sherwood is official, but there is a, a. This is this is going to take too much time, and it's kind of boring. Uh, but anyway, so I would I would certainly promote those to the official site. Um, has links to the audio the audio books and so on, um, and the print books, the the pro print books that are coming out now. Um, as for zines, um, it seems like FanLore, which is a site, can tell you about the zines. Um, I know that, I'm sure you know about fanfic.net and uh, AO3, which are both sites that have more recent Robin of Sherwood fanfic. Um, I don't know the zine brokerage site that you were talking about, but that might be a good place to find some of the zines. Yeah, you know what? I may as well pitch it because they're great. It's a you know, mom and pop operation sort of thing. Um, let me just look that up for a moment. Ah, uh, yeah, here we are. I'm looking. Uh, the the place I've used is is crossovers www.crossovers.net/slash make it go away. Um, and <laughs> the the couple who runs it have been involved in fandom for a long, long time. And they, like I said, they sell fanzines. One of the categories is robin of sherwood they've got a compared to some of the it's a small selection compared to some of the other you know fandoms that they deal with but it's definitely a place to check if you're looking for um at least some some robin of sherwood fanfic to read like there's there's a copy of turn of the wheel one that you mentioned oh in the shadow of the wheel number one they have both of those uh, but in the shadow of the wheel, number one there, 336 pages. <laughs> now, unfortunately, in the time that it took me to look up 
that website, it looks like Rach was cut off by internet connection issues. But we're going to thank her in absentia. Is that how you say it? In, in, in absentia? Sure. Again? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Thank her again for coming on. And I think we're just about ready to close out the episode. This was a special episode of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, a Robin of Sherwood fandom retrospective with Rach from the Robin of Sherwood fandom. The intro song is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our editor is our former co-host Dom, who this episode in particular has her work cut out for her. Though I feel like I said that last week, or last episode, and I'm probably going to be saying it every time at this point. Um, just, yeah. Some work has to go into editing. So thank you once again, Dom. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And you can also contact us with questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode on Twitter at Retrofanfic, Facebook at Retrofanfic, Reddit at Fanfic Retrospective. Send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. And we also have a Discord channel that you can join in on. Uh, that, and the link is going to be in the show notes, as always. You can also leave comments or reviews on your podcast website. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. And there was also Rach, but she had to leave abruptly and will need to be replaced by another actor for the final season. Until next time, take care.